because most of you is not me most of you want that four bedroom detached house you want the audi a1 you want the beam one you want the louis vuitton you want the holidays on turkey so you can put on your social media and everyone thinks you're making this great life but really you're losing your kid do you know about your kid welcome to act the pros where i do my very best to unpack actionable valuable insights and with the goal of helping you live your dream life I sit down with top entrepreneurs, professionals, making a difference around the globe so they can tell their stories. In doing so, I aim to inspire and motivate other people that may be struggling or looking for a new spark around their personal life or career path. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ask the Pros. Uh, Axe Pros is about talking to professionals, entrepreneurs, or people making a difference around the globe or in the community. You know, they tend to tell their stories and uh, hopefully the stories will impact or inspire or motivate us. You know, and today I've got Matthew Norford here. Um, I first heard about Matthew's story on BBC radio interview. Um, I listened to Matthew's story and uh, I was so touched by his story because how he transformed his life. Having been an ex-gang member, earning more than £2,000 a day after prison came out. His works around kids, around the school, social work, the police, you know, doing an amazing job out there, you know, trying to change that narrative, you know, that perception of we black people, how they see people from, from any minority and Matthew is doing a lot of work around that. I haven't listened to Matthew's story. Go in touch with Matthew. He responded to me after messaging a lo- loads of people and you know luckily for me Matthew responded back and he agreed to this interview. You You're know. welcome. <laughs> so Matthew we're going to start by telling your story. What's your story? Grew up in South Manchester, Rush home. Um, I grew up with six brothers, three sisters but only three brothers in the same house. We all grew up close, good childhood, because my older brother Gary was my best friend, my soulmate, my dad, my brother. We did everything together, same primary school. Um, I was a happy kid in primary school because of my brother. Me and my mum's relationship was up and down, but I felt the love of my older brother. By the time I got to high school, I started playing basketball. I became very good at it. I started playing for Manchester Giants, um, Manchester boys, Northwest boys. Um, and when I turned 13, I started playing for England boys at the trials and I was the point guard. But I was also a gang member selling heroin and crack cocaine in the south part of Manchester. Um, by the time I hit age 15, me and my older brother were known for shooting gang members, shooting at him, kidnapping him, torturing him, running a gang, selling drugs. Um, I had my first son at the age of 15, just 15 and a half. And... That's what I say to kids in school. I commend you for going to school, even though it may seem boring, but I felt like it was boring. I was making, at that point, about £1,000 a day. Um, and I looked at it like I had a scholarship to go to America to play basketball. Um, and I looked at it like, well, I've got to wait a year, pass my GCSEs, I'm making this much money now. I was smoking weed, I was drinking alcohol, I was watching all the gangster films, Boys in the Hood, Menace of Society. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to stash my money, I'm going to have a villa in Spain, me and my brother. Two weeks later, police kicked down my mum's door and found heroin under the floorboard and the money, which was mine. And when I turned 16, they gave me 15 months in Stokeith Young Offenders. Um, it was a different experience to what I was told in the streets. I was told it's all laugh, you know, all the man them were in there. Stoke's nowhere near Manchester, so I was in there by myself. And I remember that first night, I remember crying. Yeah, I would say it was a bit, I was a bit scared. I'm a 16-year-old kid, but it was more of a frustration. The door locks, you can't go nowhere. Your toilet's in your cell. People are talking at the window. 
I had a few fights. I didn't win them all because, you know, I'm not the toughest guy in the world. But I've got a heart, so I wasn't going to let anyone just trample over me. And I knew in that life, you had to follow through on your reputation to build it. I, but I got my GCSEs in English and Maths. I played basketball. I was that good. The paper in Shropshire did an article on me because I was 16, turning 17. I was playing with 20-year-olds, and I was the best on the basketball team. I got out in March 2000 after doing nine months, and they gave me trials for Manchester Giants, but I had to go to college. My thinking was, these social workers, probation, police, judges, solicitors, you know, they're all telling me to do this, but they're all white. And being brought up in a black community, you're taught that they are the oppressors. So why am I going to listen to you? So I thought, they don't care about me. The ones who are trying to lock me up, who are trying to put me on courses, who are trying to give me probation, who are, you know, judging me, they're all white. So I decided to be ignorant and carry on selling drugs. I was out of jail for 12 months, and in that 12 months, went to war with a gang called Doddington in South Manchester, which is one of the biggest gangs in Manchester. And one of them shot my uncle, trying to rob him, and because he's related to us, um, and we went to the hospital, because my mum's a nurse, found out, seen the bullet hole in his stomach where he went through his liver and his lung. Um, so we went home, picked two guns, picked up two of our younger gang members, who were only 12 and 13, rid around my side, spotted one of theirs, shot one of theirs, um, got off. Two weeks later, the police raided my house, which is my mum's, my son's mum's and my brother's. And then my mum's, I found heroin, crack, cocaine, cannabis, bulletproof vest, jewellery, money, and a ski mask. And then my son's mum, I found money and bullets for a machine gun. We both went to Crown Court and I let her get sentenced and she got two years. Instead of being a man and taking my time, I would have got seven. Instead, I got four and a half. And that was because when I was in prison the first time, she spent 10 grand. £10,000 of my money in nine months. So that was kind of my payback. Wow. Um, looking back, obviously, I feel ashamed of it because it's my son's mum and it's a woman. I should have took it. But in that life, you don't think straight. You're thinking, you've had me over basically with this money. You know, you can go to jail. Um, she did a year in style women's prison. I did two and a half, did most of it in Hindley. Um, got another opportunity to play basketball. The independent newspaper did a story on me. They gave me a chance to play for, I think it was Birmingham Bullets. I got out after two years, three months. Me and my older brother went back to running a gang, shot somebody the first day I got out. 2004, I had two boys. My brother had a boy. So we started robbing drug dealers more and torturing them because selling drugs, the police were on us. 2005, most of the gang members from South Manchester, that's Gooch, Donnett, alongside PBC, RCG, Old Trafford, got out. So Manchester, South Manchester, small. You can cover it on a bike. So we were running into each other. So the shootings were going up. And one night in 2005 in August, um, ended up me, one of my younger brothers, one of my younger gang members, we all had a gun each, uh, went to my side, went to this famous park, Rep Park. Um, I left my bike in the alley, I went around the corner, there were some younger gang members, only 15, about 15, 16, 17. And if I wanted to, I could have shot them all, they all froze, but because of their age, I didn't shoot them, because the way I was raising my brother, you don't shoot a 15-year-old, 16, 17-year-old. I was 20, 23, 24. I wanted someone. 20 and upwards, yeah, I would have shot him. But because of the age, I let him run off. So we got back on our bikes. And as we're riding, someone's just started shooting at me. So I've separated from my brother and his friend. And as we're going over this grass verge, I look in the middle of the road. There's a guy in the middle of the road with a mapped machine gun, fully um, balaclavin and fully in black. And he's got it pointed at my chest. I've gone to go for my gun, what's on my waistline, but I gave it to my brother as we were riding because I was trying to fix my belt. 
So my brother's shooting at the first guy who shot after me. And as I'm looked at this guy with a Mac 10, I'm thinking, can't my brother see this guy? And I just started praying to God. I was like, God, if this guy's going to shoot me, let him shoot me in my lower body. He lowered the gun from my chest. He was about 30 meters away. And then just sprayed the whole 30 bullets towards my lower body. I carried on riding. My brother carried on riding. Um, we're getting chased. My brother had another shootout because a car's come skidding in front of him. He's jumped off his bike. Dave shot at him. He's like ducks, but I thought he dropped. He jumped up, shot this kid in his, I think he had a bulletproof vest, but he got him in his chest. I'm carrying on riding. This car's chasing me from Mossai to Hume. I've jumped over my son's granddad's back garden. When I've dropped, I've dropped and I've landed like on my side, so I've had to crawl in. He's a Jamaican guy, and we know Jamaicans like to cook at night time. He had his back door open, so I've gone in, I've gone. Phone the ambulance, tell him my old white lady's been robbed and stabbed. Don't give him my name and tell him I've been shot. Him and his missus are panicking. Dave said, oh, you know, Matthew Norfield, he's been shot. I know police ain't coming no time soon. So I'm on a chair, blood squirting out of my left leg, like proper squirting out. He's burning me. Um, putting a towel on it, that's getting soaked up. But my brother's come, my two brothers, my older one. Gary's going crazy at me. You could have got yourself killed, you prick, rare, rare. He's more hurt because the bond we've got, he could have lost me. So I'm now fucking on them two, hobbling. And as we've got out and come into the car, Dave obviously knew where we was coming from. I've just had a car pull up, two shots have gone off. I've like, threw myself back because I didn't want to get shot again. My brother's shot out their back window. Dave drove off this estate in Hume and I kid you not, we've gone 20 seconds behind him. Dave took a right, we've took a left. As we've took a left off this estate, the police are sat there and the ambulance outside the, outside the vehicles having cigarettes. So they've seen this car come on the estate, heard the exchange of gunshots and not did anything. So my brother stopped the car my younger brother and my other friend jumped out with the guns, ran into the estate. Um, we've turned the car around, literally about five seconds of driving, they're literally behind us. We stopped the car, we've jumped out. I'm hobbling, like I'm the one that's been shot. I've lifted up my balaclava, they threw me on the floor. They've got my older brother G battered him. Now both of us are like on the floor, like locked eyes. I'm seeing him getting battered. He knows I've been shot. Um, you can see the worry on his face. Um, my other friend jumped out of the car, he got battered. Um, and I'm in and out of consciousness and I'm like, phone the ambulance, get the ambulance back. They're like, why should we? All the people that you and your brother have shot and all the things that you did, we don't care if you die. And I remember thinking, whoa, use a poster care, use the police, you're paid. <laughs> wow, that, was, that must have been a very horrible story. I haven't, I haven't been shot, you know, and you met, met the police and they, they don't want to do anything. I wasn't even thinking about, I was thinking about my older brother because like I say, that's my, my soulmates. When I see yeah. the hurt in his eyes, I'm thinking, wow, I'm not even thinking about me. I'm in and out of consciousness then. I remember waking up in the ambulance, um, handcuffed to the stretcher and the nurse is like slapping me in my face like, don't go to sleep, you've lost a lot of blood. I kid you not, I've always been a spiritual guy and I've just said in my mind to God, well, in my soul, God, I don't care if I, if I die, I don't want to wake up, I've had enough of it. Woke up in the hospital, handcuffed to the bed. You've got all the armed police around. I'm asking, where's my brother Gary? I'm asked about myself, I'm like, where's my brother Gary? We've locked him up. I'm like, why? So does it go murder nobody? I'm like, he's not going to murder nobody. They've gone, well, he murdered somebody in 2001 when he was locked up um, over your car. I won't mention the guy's name. I've gone, no, he didn't. He went, yeah, he did. He rolled up. He leaned out the car window. And the only thing that was keeping your brother in the car was his leg because he was actually leaning in the other guy's window, shot like three, four, five people in that incident. Um, this is the policeman's word. Tell your brother we can't be bothered with him. We've got him in the police station so he doesn't murder no one tonight. When we let him go, tell him I said to murder someone between Thursday and Sunday because we can't be bothered chasing him. He's too much hard work, your brother. And I'm like, wow. So the doctor comes and says, you've been shot in your leg. I'm arguing with this doctor saying, well, my whole lower body feels like it's on fire. 
I've got a gas mask on with a uh, policeman bang me in my jaw because I was arguing with this doctor and I'm like, you wouldn't do that if I was handcuffed, you prick. Um, argue with them, then an older doctor's come through and he's gone, Mr. Norfolk, it's gone through your left thigh. Um, it's Mr. Artery, it's gone through your penis. I blacked out then. Wow. Through the bottom of my penis, so it went through there and kind of like snapped it. Jesus. Then it went through my right testicle and then it ended up in my right leg. Um, I woke up in the morning, first time I've ever seen a catheter bag. I'm like, what's that tube? But, but you, you must be terrified at some point. Weren't you terrified of the whole scene? Nah, I just wanted to, when I got shot, I wanted to die. I, was, I had enough of it. Why? Why? Why did you? Why? Why did you want to die? Well, I've got police trying to give me life, give me ten years in jail, trying to get me for guns, drugs, whatever they can get you. One, you've got guys who want to kill you. You've always got to carry a gun, even to drop your son off. You've got to carry a gun. You're chasing people; they're chasing you. You're smoking a hell of weed, hell of a lot of weed, drinking alcohol to deal with the things you're seeing. You know your friends getting locked up, friends getting shot, um, people you you know passing away. You know, we're human beings. After after a while, it takes its toll on you. Going to jail, no sleep. All the guarding trots, all the times you've been, even though you are a drug dealer, times when police are on you, you can't make money. Or times when you're broke and you're out trying to rob other drug dealers to make money. Oh, then in jail, the jail experience, he wants to be locked up with a thousand men, 20 men in a shower. Some of them are naked. Some of them are pedophiles and rapists and murderers. I don't want to be showering with them, especially naked. I don't want to share a soul with another human being. Smell his, smell him have a number, a number two. He wants to do that. Well, having heard your story, you know, it must have been a very terrible experience for you for me you know on the for me on the other side you know i could i can't even imagine the kind of things you've been through so where and how did this all, all go wrong dad dad having kids everywhere and not being a dad you're playing basketball your dad don't come to your game you want trainers for basketball but you turn up to basketball training with holes in your trainers but the other kids ain't you have to get a bus home you see mum working every hour god sends just to put food on the table but your mum can't come to the games because she's working. She's got other kids to look after. But your dad can. He's down the road in his nice Audi with his jewellery on. And he don't want to come to your game. He doesn't teach how to be a man. He doesn't teach you, you know, how to respect women. He doesn't teach you about the wrongs and rights. I let off my brother. My brother had no one to teach him. So my brother was a gangster by the time he was 13. So what, what hope did we have? So I followed my brother. My younger brothers followed us. And you can blame your dad for, to a certain age, you need that, that role model. What was your dad doing at, at that point? Was your dad also, also in gang or was he just... He was a drug dealer, he was a Muppet. He was, I don't give him that title, he was a sperm donor. He didn't give, me, give us no hug, he didn't ever show us no love. He didn't take us to no football games, basketball games. I've seen my mum crying for money, I've seen my mum struggle. A man don't do that. A man don't have kids get up and leave, do it with another woman, get up and leave, do it with another woman. What are you teaching your kids? Is your, is your, is your dad still alive? Yeah, he's a prick. I don't speak to my dad. You don't speak to him? Don't speak to him. I don't have my dad's dad. Gary's my dad and Gary passed away. My, the sperm donor, I have nothing to do with him. He was never there for Gary. He was never there for me. Don't wish him no bad health, you know. You answer to God, you were a dad. I've raised myself. My brother raised me. So after all this, who do you blame? I blame my dad and our decision making. But if you ain't got no positive role model there, no one to hug you, no one to tell you, you know, you can be this person. You're going to find that love somewhere. And nine times out of 10 kids go and get it from the friends and from the street. I'm not saying it's his fault. He didn't make me pick up a gun. But all the chances I have for basketball, if one of my parents would have come, that would have did something. If one of, you know, your dad would have said, you know, I'm proud of you. You know, when you, when I needed the trainers, instead of having all the jewellery, maybe pawn your jewellery if you ain't got no money. But I went and sold drugs because I was tired of walking to school. I was tired of having holes in your trainers, tired of hearing my mum cry, which 13 year old kid likes to hear their mum cry for money. And you're eating corned beef and rice for like three days on the road. Your vimp toes watered down. Been there, been the poorest of the poor. It's not a nice feeling. So as a fit in your kid, you look and think, 
Mum's trying her best. She's done all this. And that bum down there is not doing nothing. I've got a man up. You don't see that you've got to get your education and it will pay off in the long run in six years down the line. Now you need it now because the heat might be going off. Sky's been cut off. Your next door neighbours have got Sky. We had Cartoon Network. Oh, that hurts your soul. It hurts your self-esteem. At this stage in your life, you know, who do you think would have helped you? Um, dad. Which, which kid doesn't want to have a relationship with the dad? Being a, a 13-year-old boy, you're going through puberty. You can't talk to your mum about puberty. Can't talk to your mum about girls. So you go to your friend. Your friend doesn't really know about girls. He's in the same boat as you. You know, when you're you got emotions and you're angry. Your dad should be able to tell you how to turn that into something positive. Go to the gym. You know, let's go for a drive and a talk. Let's go bowling. Let's do something. Yeah. So I'm not saying he made us do it, but when your dad was a drug dealer and you see all this crap and hear your dad beating your mum and all that, what does that do to a young kid? Uh, apart from, you know, blaming your dad, you know, for, for all this, you know, how, how, you, how you got into into gang and crime life and all that, you know, do you, do you also blame the society in general? Yeah, society came with all the racism and that's a different, that, that will take us off the, the, the story, but yeah. there's nothing, to, there was nothing to do in the 90s, there was no youth clubs, they started taking away the youth clubs, you know, the police back then, some of them were racist in Manchester, I experienced it, but I don't blame that because it's still the same today and I've made something of myself, it's just hard choices you've got to make. I had friends who went through the same things as me, but they never sold drugs. They did basketball and one of them went to America. So, you know, it's excuses. Not for me, it was excuses because I'm a stronger person, but there are some people in certain circumstances that it's hard to pull themselves up out of. But if you love God, I'm telling you now, there ain't nothing you can't get over. My brother died while I was in jail and they didn't let me go to his funeral, but took me in handcuffs to see his body in a chapel of rest, all cold. The first dead body I've ever seen and it's my soulmate, my brother. Well, that tore me apart. God saved me. I tell people now, I pray. I gave my life to God. I didn't, I'm not a born again Christian. I don't have a religion. I have faith. I believe. When I wanted to put a gun to my head, I heard the whisper of God. That stopped me. I never thought I'd have my own company. When, 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 was, when was this? After my brother died in 2012. Um, you know, that's my best friend and I didn't get to bury him. And then I've got all that anger in the people that killed him and all the people that's ever did anything wrong. I had access to guns. I could have, I could have had people who wanted to kill people for me because they love uh, things I've did for them. Do you, do you still see those, those people to, to, to today? Some of them are in jail. Some of them, when I'm going to my brother's grave or I'm going through my side, I might see him. But I've let it go because my brother did a murder. Ten years later, my brother got murdered the same month he murdered that guy. Karma has a funny way of coming back around. Mm. I'm here for his kids. I'm here for my kids. I'm helping countless of kids around the country. So there's a bigger thing, actually. And you got to stand up and take what we did. We shot a lot of people. He murdered somebody. We, sh we groomed kids to sell drugs for us. We turned kids from who could have been footballers, doctors, into gang members, drug, drug mules. What do you think was going to happen? We're going to run away and have a villa in Spain and all the money put down. Nah, it doesn't work. That's what I told the kids. If you really think you're going to do that. So have you ever killed someone yourself? No, nah, I've never killed nobody. Thank God. I wanted to. I tried to when I was shooting at certain people who I hated. But thank God, because I, I know firsthand from my brother being a killer and shooting countless people that he drank a lot of alcohol from the morning till night he smoked a lot of weed and it's fact that he killed a guy it's the police no it's on, it's on google you can google it my brother got off of it his, his friend got um, three life sentences had to do a wreck of 16 and he was just driving the car let's battle prison you know like the, the, your first sentence when was that 1999 in Stokey okay. well, how long was that sentence for 15 months ended up doing nine supposed to do seven and a half but ended up doing nine a few fights and the selling um, you weren't allowed to smoke as a juvenile but I used to have this friend he was a gooch boy he was a, like a brother of mine and he was giving me burn and I was selling it and giving him stamps 
and obviously sending it for munch and whatever things are needed. Yeah, but in jail, you know, who wants to be next to a paedophile? Who wants to be next to a rapist or someone who batters women? You're in there with him. People lie about the charges. So did your, when, when, when you were in jail at that, that time, did, did your family ever come, come to visit your mum? Yeah, mum come to visit me, but I didn't want her to come and visit me because when it gets to December and it starts getting dark early, she's got to get a train home. Someone yeah. could mug my mum or rape my mum. I don't want to put that on my mum. My mum didn't send me to jail. But my brothers now, or my gang members, they used to come up when I send them a video. It was mostly just my older brother and my close friends. What was your first day in prison like? <sighs> well, I was a shock. Just sitting there looking at the bars thinking, right, I'm really here. Then you count how many days or weeks you got. Remember everyone looking at me. I just, to me, I just say to myself, it is what it is, isn't it? I'm not a punk. It's going to be what it's going to be. So what did you miss most? My kids and my brother. Gary. Yeah, Gary. Just Like I say, he was my dad. He was my best friend. So just seeing his face, I used to, I phoned him every day. Even if I had a pound credit, I'd make sure I saved 10p for every day just to hear his voice. What are you on, bro? What are you saying? Nothing. What's who's in there? Nobody's chilling. I right, catch you on a visit. That was the first time you went to jail. You went to jail again? Yeah. Um, a year later when I got out. So what, what, what did you do? Um, selling, got caught with heroin and drugs again. So how, how long was the sentence this time? Four and a half. I did two years, three months, or two years, two months. Being in prison a second time, did that make you feel more differently in terms of, you know, remorse or... You nah, know? no. It's part of, the way I've seen life and my brother taught me, it's part and parcel of being a gangster. It's part and parcel of the occupation. Going to jail, keep your mouth shut and do your time. You did the crime. You, you enjoyed when you was making the money and the reputation and the girls. Got to enjoy it while you're in jail. Just make, make the best of it. You know, and what I liked about jail is that it strips you away from your gang name. So I wasn't Skelly, I was Matthew. There's no guns. You ain't got 10 of your boys with you. So I've seen a lot of people get knocked out. I've seen a lot of people get taken for a knob. I've seen a lot of people go on protective custody and not get visits, not get showers. Sorry, not get visits, not get go to the gym, not go to chapel. Because on movements, you're going to see people you don't like. And it's about your two fists. I ain't the toughest guy, but I know I can handle myself. I've been battered before, but no one ain't just going to come up and take nothing off me or just start swinging on me without me swinging back. And then after that, I was prepared to st stab someone in jail full, hot water and sugar in the face or make a phone call and get your family shot up on the out. So you're living that life. When I was in jail, I, that's what I liked about it. I've seen a lot of people that had this big reputation, but when you see them in jail, they were not that guy. And that's what I say to these kids. A lot of people say they had it in jail like this and that, but I've seen it where these guys, are, some of them are killers, some of them have got big reputations, but in jail, they were nothing but a muppet because guess what? You can't call 10 people to back you up. Guess what? You're going to be in a shower alone where a guy might want to smack your face and can you use these two? That guy might have his friends as well to hold you down. There you go. And I always say he wants to get raped in jail and it does happen in the high security jails. Not a lot, but it can happen to you at any time. If I want to humiliate you, what's the worstest way in jail? Get you raped. And with all the spice going around and all the crack drug addicts, get it done for 30 40 quid why would you want to put yourself in that environment would you say the the prison system is a breeding ground for people who start their journey into crime yeah it's a breeding see if you go in there for not paying your council tax you're in there with murderers rapists paedophiles gang members gang leaders drug dealers fraudsters you're going to start speaking to people because you want your time to pass so you come out after doing three months you can't get a job you've been trying for six months but you've got all these lists of contacts what do you think you're going to do you got kids to feed and you've just come out of jail and no one's giving you a job because you're a criminal record now. But you've met Johnny, who's a fraudster. You've met Mike, who's a drug dealer. You've met Paul, who can get your counterfeit money. 
You're telling me you're not going to open your black book and use one of them numbers to make money to feed your kids? Most men will. What's, what's packed your journey to becoming a changed man in prison? The death of my brother, because I couldn't see him. And they let me see his body ice cold in the chapel of rest, which broke my soul. But then turning to God. Um, and this woman called Jane Carr, she's from um, Doncaster. She was um, a carrot worker in the jail. But she was a white woman from this place called Fawn. And she never really knew black people, so... She started, she was just interested. She used to ask like, what's cold? Why do you use cocoa butter in your skin? And like, she proper didn't know black people. So she got to know us, but she was like our mum. So guys from Leeds, my friends from Sheffield, obviously like even a Dorothy boy who was our enemy, me and him became good friends. Okay. And we always, she was like our mum in there. Okay. And um, when my brother died, she just used to let me cry on her shoulder. Um, she used to let me come in the office anytime I wanted to. And then she brought me out to schools from prison and um, let me speak to the kids. And that's, and then she's like, she's like my second mum. I'm still in contact with this day. She's a great woman. She told me that the average white person ain't racist. The ones at the top that control the money and all that. Yeah, them, but the average white person, they ain't racist because she, she helped me so much. Take away my brother and certain other people. She did more for me than some black people I know and I've grew up with. And that just made me see, you know what? It's not about colour. It's about the person's soul, the person's heart. If they've got a nice heart and a nice spirit, I've got time for them. I don't care what religion you are. As long as you don't worship Satan, then. If you're worse Satan, I can't mess with you. But if you're a normal human being to me, a normal human being that believes in God, even if you don't believe in God, but you know, you just believe in something else. Yeah, believe in something. Yeah, as long as it's not Satan <laughs> and you've got a nice heart, I, I've got time for you. And I, I teach my kids that and kids that I work with because a lot of kids are territorial or like I ask kids, the white kids are in the class and the black kids, how do you, how, and the Asian kids, how are we portrayed on TV? It's all the same. The Asians say, oh, if you're Asian, you're a Muslim, you're a terrorist. Oh, I say, what about EastEnders? Shopkeepers, post office. What about black people? Murderers, gangbangers, drug dealers. I say, yeah, but check your history. Do you know how much inventions black people have did? Do you know we were kings and queens in Africa? Do you know that we are so more, we can do so much more than be sports or rappers? And then they start Googling it because I've told them that they can. Someone's told them that you can be more than this, search it. Google's on the phone, they pull it out and they're like, wow, I didn't know we did this. I didn't know we did that. So I say, how does it make you feel when all you see is Asians and blacks with, with either terrorists, if we're Muslims or we're drug dealers, we can only be rappers, we can only be drill artists, football players. How's, or, you, or if you're a black man with a hoodie. Yeah, you're a, a gangster. A gangster. Yeah. But how, does that, how does that make you feel? Do you think you can be a scientist or work for NASA? And they all say, no, I'm like, but you could. You have to get out of that mindset. It's a lot of, it's a lot of what, what I do go with city because I just keep it real. Keep it 100% real with the kids. I tell the black kid next to the white kid in front of the white teachers and I say to them, do you know you've got it twice as hard as that, your white friend next to you? And you know what the kids say? Yeah, I know I do. And his friend says it and the teachers will admit it, you do. So I'm like, so why are you messing about now? Get this work done now. When you leave school, you're on a level playing field with him. Don't be fake to the kid and say you've got it the same as that white kid next to you because you haven't. Why do you think when drug dealers, well, especially I can't speak of London, but in Manchester, especially when I was doing it, most of the kids that we had selling drugs were white. You know police ain't going to stop two white kids with a school jersey on walking. They're just, that's, that's never going to happen, yeah? didn't happen in my time I see white kids wagging school now and I know the ones who are selling weed and the ones who are not but the two black kids because they might have the little swagger and the little sagging pants they're going to get pulled and you look at the figures who the police are pulling what's it's minorities yeah it is most of the minorities so they say is doing the knife crime but if you your drug dealer and drug dealers are smart just use the white kids and that's how it gets into the suburban areas. In terms of rehabilitation in the, in the prison would, would you say the prison system it's, it's good? No how does it rehabilitate you? They cut all the courses. What, maths and English? Yeah, you do that just to get out of your cell. But, but they have those programs then, don't they? Yeah, they have them programs, but it's about when you get out of jail. What are you going to do when you get out of jail? You go to probation. They don't help you get a job. 
they don't help you get a flat. They're over, they're overstaffed, I mean, understaffed, sorry. They're underfunded. So then you've got to rely on family. And if you're a man over 21, who wants to stay at their mum's house? Who wants to go to the, get on the bus to go and get a gyro, which is not enough to live on? So what chances are you going to do after a week, two weeks, go back to what you know? If you maybe you give them money, manage, money management programs, give them a house or a one bedroom flat, get them um, a job, help, even if it's a low end job, it's a start. But when someone can't get that help, you're going to think, forget, I've, I've got to feed myself. And that's, without, that's just the basics. Let's talk a bit, of, a bit of a life after prison. How was life after prison? When you first got out, out of prison, you know, what was going through your mind? Oh, what, I killed a guy that killed my brother. Um, what, what, I sold drugs. I'm not going to work. Getting on that bus to go and get a gyro the first time, I thought, forget that. That took my self-esteem. It was like just demeaning. Um, but luckily, I had family in Birmingham. My brother, Anthony, he looked after me money-wise. Um, but it was hard. I had no brothers. My other brother's in jail. My brother's dead. Um, my sister's in London. But what I did is I got a job working for Europe Car, cleaning cars for £2.50, delivering them for £3.70. I was, it made me feel good having a normal job, being a normal guy. Didn't care what gang members said because been there, done that. Um, it was hard nights crying about my brother, feeling lonely. And I met a woman, she gave me a daughter, got married, and was working for another company, mentoring kids. Say how it is, they ripped me off financially. They were trying to get me to lie about what prison's like to the kids. So got rid of them and just started my own company. <sighs> Took off. Would you say the... The, the kind of things that shaped your life in prison, things you went through in prison, did they actually help you outside prison? Getting a qualification, yeah, because it helps you get a job, but don't teach your life skills in jail. Everything's done for you. You want something, you put an app in, you want a visit, you put an app in. The officers don't do everything for you, but you've got to apply for everything. So you're not worrying about council tax, gas. You're not worrying about health insurance for your kids. You're not worrying about rent. You're not worrying about just the normal things that you worry about daily. You don't worry about in jail. so you don't even, And you don't mature. Because in jail, there's none of that. You're not looking for a job. You're not doing CV. So in jail, ask most people you don't mature. If you go in at 19 and come out at 27, you still got a 19-year-old's brain because you're not progressing as a man. You've got no responsibilities. All you're looking after is yourself. You ain't got to do shopping. You ain't got to pay for cars. You ain't got to do finance. You ain't got to structure your life. You ain't got to, you know, think of your next move. In jail, you're in jail. Where are you going? Jail is not good for rehabilitation. Like I said, you can go in there for a a petty crime like shoplifting and you're going to be in there with the worst of the worst. You're going to see, you're going to speak to these people. You're going to be padded up with these people. You're going to see these people on visits and eventually you're going to talk to these people. And if you get out of jail and you can't find a job, how long before you eventually turn to crime? I don't care who you are out there. If you've got kids to feed and you're not getting a job, don't care who you are. You're going to do something to feed your kids. Whether that's shoplifting, stealing the food, selling drugs, burglary, you're going to do something to feed your kids. Self, um, self survival kicks in. If you had, if I, if you was living next door to me, and you was poor, gas was turned off and everything, and every day I'm having a banquet food. How long before you think you're not my daughter? Ask, can I give you the food that I'm gonna throw away? Then say if I said no and just threw it away, looking in your face, throwing it away. How long before that next step you kick my door off and just take the food? You're not hurting no one. You just want the food. Yeah. As a human being. Yeah, that's your survival instinct kicks in. Yep. So. I get it with these kids. Some of these kids are carers for their parents. Some of these kids' parents are alcoholics. Some of them got drug problems. Some of them have been abused badly where they can't function. And these kids have to come to school, deal with all that. Some of them are getting bullied and go home, look after mum, look after other siblings. And they've got nowhere to escape. So at least when they come and work with me or 
And I see the great work the teachers do. Teachers do great. Well, not all teachers, but majority of teachers do a great job. You think you send your, you got kids. Yeah, got so kids. you're sending your kids to school. This teacher's got to look after your kid, plus 29 other kids, give them the best education. Sometimes it's emotional support because things are going on at home that kids disclose. Then they've got to go home and deal with that, deal with their family, but still can't forget the kids at school. You know, that kid that's not it. That teacher's gone home thinking, is that kid going to eat at home? I'm going to bring a packed lunch tomorrow. That kid who's getting, you know, he's getting battered. What can we do? They're phoning social services. They're putting all these forms in. They're not getting paid for that. So I see what the teachers do. And it's a hard job that they do, mental health workers. Basically, why we're in this situation with the knife crime, the government has stripped 52 youth clubs in London. 52 youth clubs. Where are these kids supposed to congregate? Where are they supposed to go? It's going to be outside your house, outside my house. Yeah. So what, what, would you, what, would, what would you say about the youth clubs, you know? Uh, because that's a very important important thing you just you just men- mentioned. Are they are they important in terms of preventing crime? Of course they are. Kids, uh, when you're bored, boredom leads to throwing a stone at a window to smash it. We've all done something like that. Or knock a door run. It gets bored after a while. So you want that chase from the police. You want something to hype you up. You want that adrenaline. It leads to crime nine times out of ten. But if you open these youth clubs, and instead of employing people from outside the communities, get that, I don't know if it's an Asian community or white community, whatever community it is, get someone from that community. Like the mum that's, you always get a mum in a community that's known as a nano. And people that are jobless, get them, employ them in there. These kids know them. They're going to respect them. They've got somewhere to go. It's warm. It's not in the street. It's not outside crunchy fried chicken. It's not outside your Tesco where normal people go. You know, you put a poo table in there, a bit of football. It's warm. They're going to go. Bit of food. They're going to go. And then all you do is get speakers to come in, you know, motivational speakers. You get people to put competitions on. Um after school programs you know things like that well the government needs to spend money to spend money on these wars spend money on foreign aid why not spend it on the kids in this country because you don't see this in um buckinghamshire you don't see this it's true you don't see this in oxfordshire you don't see this you know in them big universities you don't see them i guarantee let two people get stabbed in areas watch how they close it down it's not affecting the rich politicians who don't give a damn about the normal person on the street. They really don't, because if they did, how would they um, slashing all the benefits, universal credit people left without money? Single parents, I'm reading it, it hurts my heart. I just thank God I'm in a position where I don't need no help of the government, and uh, I'm not on universal credit, but I see these governments are the biggest, uh, the government, people who work in government are the biggest scroungers. They get everything in expenses. They uh, put everything in for expenses. They're the ones that run the country. I just think it's disgusting. But if you can do it and get away with it, why not keep doing it? I think us as society need to step up and say, I always say this, let's all stop working for a week. Let's all stop working. Stop working no matter what job you do. And let's say, now nah, this country needs to change because our kids are dying. You know, the fathers are getting sent to jail. We're getting made homeless. Single women's getting made homeless. Like, my whole thing is protect the vulnerable women, kids, and the old people. If you're a man, I believe you got to, you can should be able to defend for yourself. Like in the the wild, don't the male lions go out and hunt for the the pride, the, the kids and the women at home. Yeah. So if you're a man like me, we should be able to provide for ourselves. But let's help the women, the kids, and the old people. Boy, that's just my view in it. Because I work with the average people who are struggling, who are when lights cut off, who kids come to school just for the meals. And I've been there going to school for your dinner ticket just for the meal. Shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. But it is. Yeah. So in in, in regards to the to the, to the to the knife crime you know mostly mostly in london you know gang crime you know and all that you know when you see kids these days you know like you see them 
in like you know gang you know gang gang members and stuff you know what do you say to them? what do you say to them i say you know when you look on the telly and you see a kid stab what color is he black what color is the perpetrator black you just got three four for the price normally four of you's doing it and it's a black kid so there's five black lives gone keep doing it where's the next black generation coming from say so when you look at him before you stab him don't you see that's that's just you yeah not saying the same lips and nose but the same color that's your brother so you know, i was ignorant and daft to that but you got to, uh, I just, just show him. So you kill him because he killed your friend. Now you're in jail. After five shout outs on a couple of drill songs, you forgot about it. How many times you, your brethren's come and visit you in your 25 year sentence? First year, first two years. I've, got, I've had no friends that have did life sentences. And there are, even the one that did it for my brother, we visited him probably up to two, three years and then stopped visiting him because life goes on. Imagine how he felt though in jail and people forgot about him. But you did it for the gang, you did it for the set, for this loyalty. And if you die, what happens? You get put on a t-shirt, you get sung about in a few songs for a year or two. Who's, who's cuddling your mum when you're crying, when your mum's crying? Or you, you, you're paralysed, never thinking it's going to happen to you. And some of the kids get it, some of them think it's never going to happen to them. And then later on you hear it happens to them, you think. You know, that's life, my life goes on. <laughs> it does, and I tell them that. I was like, my brother, to me, I think about him every day, but look, I'm happy, I've been married, I've done all this and life's moved on. I want him here, but I understand life moves on. But you, but you still miss him dearly. Yeah, I still miss him dearly. But like a kid asked me, do you feel sorry for him? And I went, no. And the, the girl burst out in tears. I went, why would I feel sorry for him? He's my brother. I love him. I miss him. But he killed somebody. We shot people. We ran a gang. We, we, we ruined a lot of kids' lives. I ain't going to, I can't feel sorry for him. No, I feel sorry for the woman who gets raped on the way home. who's just thinking about going home or the kid that gets knocked over. They didn't ask for it. We asked for what, for our karma. You know, we turned kids into gang members and drug dealers who could have been a truck driver, football, could have been anything but that. So how can I feel sorry for him? She got it in the end. And I say, I don't want your sympathy. I'm not here for your sympathy. I want you to hear my story and learn from it that there's no good ending from it. You can make two grand a day working for, on an oil rig. You know, there's so many jobs here because kids want a lot of money. And I say, if you graft, now at school, get your education, you can be your own boss. I should, it should have took me 37 years, well, to see from 30 so. 27 years 25 years 24 years and the death of my brother and a sister to turn it around yeah, it's just just about you changing that narrative and making them see the other side because yeah. because no 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 one will tell you that anyway you know but you you've, you've been you, you've done that you've been there now you you're out of prison you're telling them the other side of the story you know and you know they, i don't i don't think they have any choice but to listen to you yeah, they all do. I've been in London and talked to kids and it's the truth, you know, you can Google me, it's, it's, it's facts. And I ask the kids what's spooning and they say, obviously, when you cuddle your missus, I'm like, nah, in jail. You cuddle your cellmate, I'm like, that will make you gay. Nothing wrong with being gay, but are you gay? He's like, no, I'm like, no. It's when someone thinks you've swallowed weed, two, three guys will come in your pad, two will hold you down and one will get a spoon and go in your ass and take out the weed or the drugs. And if it's not there, you've just been raped with a spoon. But you don't hear these stories because the person it happens to ain't going to say it. But it does happen. I know a guy that did it and I know the person he did it to. Just for a bag of weed, they've got a spoon and gone in your rectum and left it bleeding and everything where you've gone to, had to go outside hospital. I'm like, three guys did that. So they raped a guy. Do you, do, you, do, you think, do you think the reason why they don't talk about it is because it's kind of like shameful? Or? Shameful and you want, as a man, demeaning. That's, that's the meaning your whole, your whole masculinity has been took. But it happens. A lot of things happen in jail. People been made to give oral sex people's family have been extorted people have been battered people have been bullied told to hang themselves jail i always say jail is not a nice place obviously if you're a gangster and you're part of a big gang then it's all right for you because you've got the numbers 
But if you're someone who just made a mistake and goes to jail and you're not really about cutting people or getting people's families shot up or stabbed up, then trust me, don't go to jail because you could be raped, you could be stabbed up, you could be battered, you could be victimised. And who wants to do that? Or because what? You want to be bad now, you want to carry a knife or you want a reputation. Well, that's, that was a very emotional and touching story, Matthew. Um, so Matthew, let's um, go to your own your your thing now. One, which which is one message. Yeah. What inspired one message? Um, definitely my brother, and it was the Lord's work. Cause I always say this: when I was in jail and I got out and I'm trying to change my life, my soulmate's dead. I didn't get to see him buried. I've got all that anger. I wanted to kill everyone. Police. I've said it before. They said they were going to put me on tag, move me out of Manchester, and I said, but I really want to kill the people that killed my brother and everyone that I don't like. What can you do? You're going to have to catch me and put me in jail. And you ain't putting me in jail for the rest of my life because I can't do the rest of my life in jail. So you're going to have to kill me. And I go and meet my maker and my brother's there. And I was serious. I looked him in the eye. But I turned it around because my brother died. And I was working for another company. I just thought, the kids get me. The kids are gravitating to me. But they're trying to make me lie. So if they get my own company, I can do it my way. And my way is just being real with him. Just being real. Like Sometimes kids are in the class and they act like a muppet. I'm not going to say, oh, you stopped. I'm like, hey, you've been a Muppet. What have you been a Muppet for? You're not a gangster, you little fraggle. The kids laugh, but that kid will get what I mean. I'm talking to them in their cold. Like, you've got to be hip to these kids. You've got to listen to their music. I ask, when I do my training, and I train social workers, because I go into schools, I do one-to-one mentoring, I do group work, I do um, presentations in schools all day. I train social workers, um, leaving from care home managers, uh, mental health workers. And I always ask them, Put your hand up whoever asks your kids at the end of the day, how are you feeling, what did you learn in school, and how was your day? Out of 50, about 10 putting a hand up. I'm like, but when your kid gets to 12, 13, you know they start puberty and they start changing. So if you don't know your son's or your daughter's favourite colour or what music or if they're sexually active, but I bet their friends know on the street. Because most of you's, not me, most of you's want that four-bedroom detached house. You want the Audi A1, you want the Beam, you want the Louis Vuitton, you want the holidays on Turkey so you can put on your social media and everyone thinks you're making this great life. But really, you're losing your kid. Do you know about your kid? And a lot of parents have gone to me and said, thank you for that, I'm going to buy. I'll show you before I go, I'll, give you, I'll send you, I'll email you the, the, the feedback from that interview that you see. And a woman went, because yeah. of you, I'm going to give my um, teenage son a kiss on the cheek before he goes to school. That made me nearly crack up thinking something I said has made that woman change how she deals with her kid. And another one went, you're right, giving our kids material things don't make us a good parent. We're all striving for this material world when really, we don't really know our kids we're losing. And I was like, this is what I do it for. I'm not putting no one parenting skills down because I ain't the best parent. But I make sure I ask my daughter or my kid, how was your day? Did anyone trouble on you? How are you feeling? I need to know them three things. Kids need to be, need to, need to be heard and they, they need to understand, they need to have that feeling that someone is, you know, listening to them. Someone, someone else is also sharing their stories and sharing their life and you know their day-to-day activity you know they they, they need to, they, they need to know that as well you know and they need to know the parents love him just buying your kid all these material things and take him on holiday if you don't tell your kid every so often you love him and give him a hug i do it with my 15 year old boy son's called demika i love you demika i said it back at first it was hard for a man because you think a man should be masculine all the time but my son knows i love him i asked my daughter why you got why is your mum good why have you got a good mum because she knows a kid that got separated from her mum because her mum was a drinker and everything yeah. she went she, she's got a nice mum like my mum and I went why is your mum nice because she loves me how do you know she loves you she cuddles me she tells me she loves me she takes me to school she shouts at me when I've done something wrong she reads books with me she takes me out she feeds me she's cooking she cleans she reeled off a whole and I thought you're only five and you recognise what your mum does that's, and that's, and that, and that's priceless that is priceless 
So I had to jump in. Am I a good dad? Yeah, you do the same as mum. Not as much, <laughs> but she's true because mum has her all the time. But yeah, I let my kids know, even kids I work with when I get a bond, I'm like, and I say to them after three, four months, sometimes when it was snowing a couple of years ago, I'm like, why do you think I'm here? And it's snowing. And no, I don't work for nobody. I work for myself. Because you care. There's been incidents where I've had to call social services or, or pass the information on the safeguarding information to teachers and the relevant people. And they've had to get social services and the kids don't want to speak to me. Oh, Matthew's a grass, Matthew's a grass. And I've gone, right, I'm going to ask you two things in front of all these teachers. Why did I do it? Do you think I did it to get you in trouble or to help you? Even though you're mad right now, tell me your goal. Because you care. Thank you. Number two. Now, that information you give me, if I would have kept it to myself to be your friend and you went out and committed a crime or whatever, what's the first thing you would have said when you get in trouble with the police? I told Matthew, Matthew knows. <laughs> and the, the face drops away. You're going to save yourself. You're a human being. Yeah. I'm safeguarding myself and you yeah. by giving the right. Two weeks later, they're still giving you information. Like, I've done this, I did that. And I'm like, because young kids want to know that they're cared about. They want to talk to somebody who knows it. Like a kid asked me, he's doing, he's selling weed but they wanted to go on country county lines. And I went, I went, you're already just about hanging on to school. You're already, the police are on you for selling weed and now you want to go country lines and you, you and your mum are just getting on speaking terms. Told him everything that you're going to go through and like, what choice do you want? You're nearly finishing school. Don't you think you want to do GCSEs? He went, yeah, I leave the selling weed alone and concentrate because I don't want to end up how you did. And the guy's left it alone because the police come into the school and say, you know, he's left it alone. He's, his name's not coming up. He's in school on time. This looks like a, a different kid. And I always see him. You, you're doing on the right path. You better be because me and you will fall out and I won't help you no more. Because me and him have that band. And now you can see it like, I'm like his big brother. That's what, that's what when kids get him pulled the wrong way, they're looking for something. He wanted someone to have his back because he's, he's the only son, only child. So when he sees me in school, it's like, how are you doing? I, I give a damn. He knows I give a damn. When he's walking the corridors, why are you out of class for? Oh, no, no, don't give me no excuse. Why are you out of class? Such and such and such. But don't you need, think you should go and apologise? Take your isolation and then we start again tomorrow. You're not going to be perfect, but it's about striving to be, to be perfect. And they get it. Even though when me and them fall out and they're throwing a tantrum, oh, you're a Muppet, I'm a Muppet. I'm like, yeah, I'm a Muppet, but I still care about you. You still care. You still like me, don't you? You're a Muppet. The thing with kids is like, if you don't hear those such things from home or someone they love, tell them. Someone else will tell them something different, you know, and they might listen to that person. Dude, I'm going to listen to that person if, you're an adult. If you didn't have your, your missus and kids, wouldn't you want love? That's why you got your missus and got kids, because you wanted it. But if she was knocking you back, and the next woman was knocking you back, and the next woman, you're going to find it somewhere. And it's normally a woman who doesn't love you who's going to use you. See, you're a nice guy. I think, yeah, I'll use him. And when he's done, when I'm done with him, throw him. That's the same with grooming the kids. You think, this kid's looking for a dad figure. This kid's poor. This kid's got a single parent. Or this kid's got two working parents, but they're working so much that they don't care about this kid. I tap into him and that kid just wants time because both of his parents are working. They've got the house, they've got the cars and everything, but he just wants someone to say, you're all right. How are you doing? What are you doing today? Play a bit of football with him, a bit of Kirby. Make him laugh. Matthew's cool now. Matthew's cool. Yeah, yeah. Just hold this for me. Go and give this to John around the corner, a bit of weed. Matthew's cool and he's paying it for me and he's showing me attention. The money don't even matter. It's the attention. But the kid that's poor, the money matters to him. Every kid's different. And that's what the groomers look out for. It's the weakness, the vulnerability, not weak, sorry, the kids, the vulnerability in them. But I see you every day and I know you come out of your house, you got a, just say batter trainers on, you know, raggedy coat, you go in school, never see a dad. I know you got a single parent and your mum's struggling financially as well. I'll be your friend financially. If I see you got both parents and they're both like doing good, but 
you're never getting taken out in a car, you're always left by yourself. I give you attention. True. It's true. Because kids are like us, like I say to the teachers, if I was to groom you, miss, right, even if I thought you was ugly, but I just want to have sex with you, I'm going to pick on all your nice attributes because you're grown. I'm not going to do it the same way as the kids. But say if I just seen you dig your nose, all the kids laugh. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to come to you and say, I just seen you dig your nose. I'm like, yeah, beautiful. Your perfume smells nice. Where are you from? I'm going to make you feel good about yourself. I've got you then. Because I know that you're falling for it. You want it. I'm just giving you the nice, telling you the nice things. Yeah, I take you out. You know, you're a nice lady. You know, I know how to treat women. Right? You sell the dream. It's the same thing. Yeah, but if the, if the kid hears that from his mom or dad, they, they, won't, they won't fall. No, they won't fall for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they won't fall, fall, so, fall so easily for it. Mm, I, my kids, my kids know the love. Then you couldn't trick my kids. Even my five-year-old, like when uh, Uncle or someone might say, Princess, I love you. She's like, she looks at it like, no, I know my dad does. Because I've told her. Yeah. When you get older, who do you ask anyone? If you get a boyfriend in there when you're older, who do you ask first if you want anything? Straight away, no, it's dad. Because I've taught her, guys will let you down. Guys can manipulate you and everything. My whole thing is, you're my daughter. If you need anything, you come to me first. So it is about how you bring your kids up. Because I'm living proof. My kids all know to come to me first if they need anything. And if I can't get at them, you best believe I'll move heaven and hell to get him. Because I know that if a kid, like my kid's 15, so now I've upped the money I give him. Um, I understand he wants new trainers there, 170 pound. If you as a dad can't look at these things a year in advance, I think when well, my kid's turn leaving school, he's going to want all these things that I wanted. If I can't afford to get it, him, there's going to be that temptation to go and get it himself because everyone wants to be socially accepted. True. But everyone thinks about themselves. I want the 500 pound boots. I want the nice car. <laughs> and then when your kid gets to that age, you know, go and get an apprenticeship. I had to learn in my way, rare. No, no, no. That was in the 80s. We're in 2020. My yeah. son's, I already told him, 16, I've got this much money for you. When you can drive at 17, I'm going to pay for your test. Why? He's never been in trouble. Never been kicked out of school. Yeah, he was predicted sevens and eights in his GCSEs. It helps his mum because his mum's not got the best health. Plays football and he didn't get a scholarship. Instead of brewing about it, um, secretly he wants to do be a, um, an engineer. And he's taken the course of that. He's already got an apprenticeship set up for next year. So he's done all this research and they're like, you know what, son? That's a great son. With everything that you've got going on, you've still found a path and you didn't get your scholarship. You didn't kick up about it. You just went and sorted out an apprenticeship for your second backup plan. So you, I must reward that. But I get a text from my son and I've not texted him, say, for a week. He lives in Stafford. He'll be like, how are you, dad? You're okay. And it just takes me back and I'm like, how are you? I'm sorry I've been so busy. Then I text him in the morning. Have a good day at school, son. Love you. You know, it's... Yeah, that's good. I just tell the kids, being a gangster, you're not real. Because you say you want to do something, you can't do it if it's not in the rules. I say I can send you to jail anytime I choose to. I just put a gun in the car that we're chilling in. And it's your car. They're going to they're gonna pull it on you. Now it's up to you to grasp. And the rules say you can't grasp. So when you look at the game, the drug game, the gang game, you're set up to fail. You can't grasp. So me and you in a car, I put the gun under your seat. On the pullers, the car's in your name, it's your gun. Unless there's no DNA in it, you're going to jail for it. We both have to fight it, but it's in your car. I'm going to say, it's not my car. I didn't know he had a gun under his seat. I'm supposed to be your brethren. Now you're going to do five, six, seven, eight years in jail. You can't, you can't tell the truth, which is snitching. You can't tell the truth that it's not yours. Matthew put it there, or when we do a shooting, and I've done that shot the guy, and you get pulled in for it, and you get caught, you've got to take the charge. I'm saying now, if you're a normal civilian, I got grassed up by civilians, and the kids are like, what do you do? I'm like, well, she was an old lady I used to talk to and help her with her shopping. 
I was selling drugs outside her back gate and she phoned the police to me. My friend was talking about burning down the house and true story in Stokey, if I told him I put a bullet in your brain when I got out, don't touch the old lady. Why? She sent you to jail. I'm like, but that's someone's nana. You don't touch women. She's a civilian. I'm selling drugs outside her back door. What can she do? Come out and challenge me. She's scared. So she did what normal people do. Nine, nine, nine. I told the kids this. If you're a criminal and you get grasped up by a normal civilian who's not in the game, you can't get mad at him. That's what they're trained to do. Yep. See crime, report it. You as a, a criminal supposed to be smart enough not to let them know who you are and what you're doing. All oh, this grassy notion is, is it, it, I say grassing is for gangsters. If you take that pledge to be a gangster or a drug dealer, yeah, you can't grass. But if you're a normal civilian and I rob you, yo, you can point on the stand that it was him there, that black guy there. I say, I didn't like me now. I'm not a gangster, but because I lived that life for so long, I still got to go by that code. I couldn't, if someone robbed me, I couldn't phone the police and say, yeah, they've robbed They've, they've, they've robbed me. I just have to let it go because I'm not going to go and get them back. That's just going to bring me right back there. So I'm in a effed up predicament. Imagine something big happened and I phone the police and have to go court and testify. Would you kids respect me? Even though I'm not a gangster, even though I've changed my life around, I go, no. And I get it because how they perceive me. You did it for so long, you know, and I get them when they say, I'm not going to snitch on my friend. I'm like, yeah, but you've got to save you. It's all about the circumstances. They say, are you in a gang? No. Like one incident I give you quickly. This guy's friend was in a gang. John wasn't in a gang. Paul was in a gang. Made up names. Paul was selling drugs and everything. And John won. But they're both in the car, got pulled. And he was like, yeah, but he's saying he didn't know it was there. And he know it's his car. And I'm like, did you know it was there? He's like, nah, he didn't tell me when I got in. It was only giving me a lift and we got pulled. And like, is he in a gang? I'm like, yeah, are you part of a gang? No, we're just chill with him every now and again. I'm like, this is the chilling with them. Now this is the situation you're in. What's your heart telling you to do? My heart's telling me to tell the truth because I don't want to go to jail. I'm nearly passing my GCSEs. I went, you're not a gangster. Tell the truth. If you're not a gangster, tell the truth. If he knows you're not a gangster, tell the truth. I'll tell kids that once you join a gang or start selling drugs and become a part of an organisation, yeah, you can't zip it, take what comes with the game. But if you're not and someone puts you in that predicament, yo, tell the truth. Let someone put me in a life changing predicament like to do life in jail. Say we've gone somewhere and you've stabbed up someone in an argument outside the club and I've got in your car with you and we've got off. We've been seen going there together, chilling there together and you did it. But they're pin, trying to pin it on me, can't know the knife's under my seat or whatever, it, how it's gone and it's under my seat. I'm going to give you 24 hours and say, yo, come and tell the truth. And people are like, yo, yo, grass. I'm like, no, I'm not a gangster. It's called telling the truth. You put me in a predicament to go to jail where I didn't know nothing about it. I'm not snitching. I'm telling the truth. But if me and you go to do something and like, say we're going to go and go shoot John and I get caught, and then I tell on you, that's snitching. Because yeah. I knew about it. We both did a joint venture. But if I didn't know nothing, I, I say, as much as the reputation that I got, let somebody do that to me and try and get me to take eight years in jail for them. I'd be like, yo, you got 24 hours to come to the station and tell the truth. What would you do? Get the family shot. I say, I'm not a gangster no more, but I'll just tell the truth. Yo, it's his gun. This is where he picked me up from, rare, rare, rare. I'm saying, so I don't you, care. So you guys just sit behind, behind the scene. Tell him, come say the truth. Or Oh, I'm, oh, I'm telling the truth. Call me a snitch what you want. But why am I going to go to jail? After everything I've been through, I've turned my life around and I'm not a gangster and everyone knows this, but you put me in a predicament now to go to jail for you. You go look after my kids. If my daughter gets raped or battered or anything, are you going to defend my daughter? No, you're not. You're going to be thinking about your own family. I'm in jail, can't do nothing for being loyal to you. And you wasn't loyal to me to put me in that predicament. And the kids get it. I say, but if I'm a gangster now, I couldn't do that. But I'm a normal nine to five civilian and I love it. No one doesn't trouble me because of my past and they know what, I can, what I'm capable of. It's not like I did it I did it, and I forgot how to do it. I've still got people who know how to get guns. I've still got gang members who love me from different cities. I've got, I'm not bothered about all that. I'm bothered about, I tell kids, being a man. Being a man is doing the right thing, standing up for your community, helping anybody that's got a nice heart. 
and always looking out for the vulnerable, which is kids, women, and old people. I say to me, gangsters shoot people with guns, stab people, do it in numbers of 10, 12, they go to jail and click up with other gangs. It's crap. I say it's all a lie. I've seen gangsters who are mortal enemies chilling the same pan in jail. I've seen, I know gang members that have raped girls and they go to jail and no one's stabbing them up. All these rules that are supposed to apply don't apply. I say, how do you think some people sold drugs for 10, 15 years and never go to jail? Everyone knows they're selling drugs. Everyone in the community, they've got the bends outside the council house. But, no, but nobody, no, nobody snitches. But nobody snitches. <laughs> <laughs> I say, it's made, the game's made for you to fail and you play the game. I think at least I played in an era where it was stand-up men where there weren't many snitches. There wasn't many snitches in the 90s, early 2000s because people were scared of being a snitch. You would actually get shot. Now, I could snitch on you and people were like, well, he didn't snitch on me. I'm making money of him. He didn't snitch on me. I say yeah. to the kids, I say, do you know snitches around your area? And they're like, yeah, such and such, such and such a night. Are they dead yet? No, no one troubles him. What does that say? It's a load of lie. We will get you kids into the gang to sell drugs and talk about snitches this, snitches that. So you don't snitch on us. So we can go about our business. Being in the gang, yeah. Uh, two things. Did you say people get in the gang just for the power of, or just for the money? A bit of both and feel loved. Being a gang, being a part of a gang is a bit of acceptance as well. You've got no family at home or your family don't care. You've got 15, 20 people that, you know, will make sure you, you eat. Will, if I've got a problem, I can make a phone call and get six, seven guys out there with guns willing to kill with. So it's power, it's love. Being, being a part of something, being, being made to feel a part of something. But it's all a lie because you're not a part of this moment you die to forget about you. Unless you're somebody big who's done a lot for people. And even then after a few years, I forget about you. The rules are all miscombobulated. So snitching, you're allowed to snitch in certain circumstances. They say you're not, but I've seen people, big gangsters snitch. And I'm like, wow, guys, you go to jail, we'll try and sleep with your girlfriend. You know, it's just all backstabbing guys will set you up. I did it. I've set guys that I've chilled with and called friends up because I couldn't get to them. So I've just got some from out of town to rob him. But then told him like, yeah, yeah, my man's robbed you. Let's go looking for who did it. And I'm in the car thinking it was us that robbed you. And I told the kids, look, that's how shady it is. And that's not supposed to go and you're supposed to be loyal. You're loyal to your damn self and the money that you can make. So in terms of crime prevention, you know, and, um, you know, trying to get kids off the street. If we were to meet the Prime Minister today, you know, what, what, would, you, what would your advice or suggestion be on gang prevention and crime prevention and knife crime? If I met you, the Prime Minister? Yeah, today. Yeah. Get the checkbook out. Go to the communities that are affected. Speak to the people in the community, the mums that have lost people, the gang members that want to get out, the young kids that are affected. Ask what can we do? Would open in a youth club do it? Would put in after school provision on? Would, I don't know, an incentive scheme where those who are in gangs, if they drop out of it and go to school and continue to do that, then you just, I don't know, there's some reward where I don't know. We do the park up in your area, you know, teach them about, you know, it's your community, you have to look after it yourself. Employ people from that community, the mums that are struggling, put them in a youth club, put them in the lollipop lady role, have these meetings, let them know they're important, they're not forgot about, and watch how it turns around. But you've got to start with the people who are affected by it. Like, how can I... I know what goes on in certain parts of Africa, but how can I talk in it? I don't know nothing about it. I ain't there. I ain't living that pain every day. I see what I'm taught on the news, but me saying these people need this and need that and need that, they're listening like, oh boy, we don't, you don't, we don't need what you're asking for. How do you know our struggle? But I, I've been there, so I know these kids need role models. They need um, activities and they need a chance to be taught that they can be somebody. You give all them free with money. Your cost, you're not going to save every soul, but you're going to save a majority of them because a lot of kids don't want to do it. But because they're from that state and they're from that state or they're from that postcode, you've got to carry a knife automatically because that postcode will stab you. I want to hold the, the gangsters accountable and the drug dealers, at least when we were doing it in Russia, man. Certain areas, like I know certain Gooch boys that did it, you look after the young ones, you'd make sure they, not every young one did we recruit, 
You could see the ones that wanted to be in it, that want to chill around your car. The ones that went to school with the backpacks. We brought them ice cream. We made sure they didn't get in gangs. We talked to them like, nah, I don't you don't want this life when they've come on. Or I just want to make some quick money. I'm like, nah, go to school. You don't want this life. It's not, not, it's not that. We used to put, um, like pay for the ice creams for all the kids in, the, in our estate. We used to buy them footballs. We used to do little tournaments where the kids would win a fiver. Like, I think every drug dealer should do that. Chipping. They don't need a government's permission. If you're a drug dealer and you're trying to help your community, so we say. But, but if, a, if a drug dealer is chipping in, that doesn't that, does that, does that mean that... You're not, but I'm saying you're not going to stop the drug dealing. You're not going to eradicate drug dealing. Let's, let's just be real about it. You're not going to stop every drug dealer from selling drugs. So the ones that are selling drugs, why don't you help do what your community... Why don't you help put trips on for kids? Why don't you tell these kids, right, you step up doing a gang... We all put together and get your trainers for football because some kids want to go football, but their mum can't afford it. But the drug dealers can. But how are they, they going to come? Because if you if you're a drug dealer, you're selling drugs, making money, and you come out spending money for kids, you know, trying to won't it's that's you doing drugs is a crime already. Yeah. So if you come out and try to help the community, I, I don't know how that's going to work anyway. But the police don't know. I'm talking as a self righteous black guy. You're seeing the kids on your estate that you supposedly love and look they look up to you. But they got holes in the trainers and you're rather put them in county lines than just buy them a pair of trainers. Say, you know what? Go to school and I'll buy these trainers. I've done that. I've gone to shops and everyone, most parents who are normal have been there. When you're after school, you've got your kid, you go to the shop and you're just getting a bare essentials, your bread, whatever you're getting. I've done that so many times and I've got my son and my son's picking up what he wants. And the kid's gone to his mum. Can I have that? His mum's gone, no. And you can see she's stressed out on the Lord's my witness. I have gone, what do you want? Get anything. And they're like, let's get anything, that, 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 that. And then the mum's like, oh, no, you ain't got I'm like, love, I've been where you've been. It's not nice. He can have anything he wants. They know I'm a drug dealer, but in my mind, I'm looking at my kid can have anything he wants. It's drug money. So why? I, I know what that kid feels like. He just wants a chocolate buy. His mum wants to get at him, but she really can't. She's, everything's accounted to the penny. So let me buy it. I've gave kids football trainers that are my drug money. I'm not, I'm not condoning selling drugs. But at that point, no one was going to stop me from selling drugs. But at least I can say I've done a bit of good with it. My brother gave £2,000 to... Penelope Children's Hospital, the cancer ward, that's from drug money. And the woman was crying at reception, said, I've never seen no one do this. This was 94, 95, 96. Drug money. He went and she went, oh, she was crying. Oh, I put your name in the paper. My brother walked off and went, I ain't done it to be in the paper, love. I've done it because we lost one of our friends to leukemia. So I'm saying you're not going to stop the drugs, but some of these drug dealers say, oh, I love my community. I love my black people. But you're seeing the black kids with holes in the shoes. Yo, go in your pocket and buy them shoes. Maybe that kid will still go to football training or go to school. Because he's not going to school because he's going to get shelled. He's going to get dissed. He's going to be made to feel less than human because his toe's sticking out. But his kid wants to learn. But I was one of them guys, you, exp you would exploit that kid. Not every kid exploited. Some kids I would have compassion for, but most of them you'd exploit. So let's be real. Not everyone's going to stop selling drugs in every community. And the ones that say they love this and pro this and this and that, I love my people. Now that kid's poor. That woman, you know, is gas going off. Like another thing, sorry to go off topic, what pisses me off. When you see it on Facebook, Guys in flash cars and money and they're seeing people homeless and they're going to give them £100 each. I'm like, you're doing that for likes? Because real talk, if you wanted to, you've just pulled out like 10 grand. Go get a woman apartment and pay a month's rent. Try and get her on her feet. I don't do things for likes. There's nothing I've done behind the closed door that no people know about. That kid knows about it though. That mum, that kid's mum knows about it when I've gave him money and I don't want it back. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, so, so giving a man fish, teaching him how to fish. Yeah, teach him how to fish. But my whole point is, let's be real. There's people even in... Nine to five jobs that sell weed on the side just to keep their head above water. My whole point is let's look out for the kids in the community. Whether you're doing right or doing illegal, you see a kid needs help with trainers or something, help him. A kid was doing, was selling weed and he told us all straight, he's doing it to get football trainers to go back to football. 30 pound trainers. 
Are you for real? And none of these organisations did it. I pulled out the 30 quid. Obviously, you can't just buy a kid the shoes. So I did a raffle. Who had the winning ticket? That kid. He went to, he went to football and he, last thing I seen, he wasn't selling weed. He was happy with his 30 pound trainers that he used to scrub every day. That what gave me satisfaction for about three months. Every time I seen that kid thinking, you know what? It's 30 quid. I would have put that in my petrol tank. But that kid is not selling weed no more. Probably would have progressed to something else. And now he's playing football happy. His mum seemed happy. Even sometimes all it takes is to talk to a single mum and tell her you're doing a good job. I know it's hard, but sit down, have a cup of tea. If I do it, you know what? You're having a, I'm failing. Yeah, but you need to tell your son to carry knives. You know, I know you work. I know you pay all your bills. I know you love your son. I know your house is always clean. You're not failing your son. Love your good mum. And I said to enough parents out there, you're not failing your son. You're not failing. If your son's making the wrong decision, it's not you as a parent. Because all that does is reinforce that you're a crap parent and that, that um, reacts to how you... You react to how you parent now. You think, yeah. oh, I'm letting him down. Nah, you're a good parent. Tell my mum you was a good parent. You didn't have the man's help there. You're trying to raise four boys in South Manchester just after the racism times. Four hard, ignorant, hard-headed boys as a woman. You can't teach us how to be a man. You can to a certain, a woman can to a certain degree, but puberty and all that and dealing with your masculinity. Mum couldn't do it. I'm just passionate and I just love what I'm doing. I love one message. I love helping the kids. I love helping the parents. And one message, anyone who wants to ask me any questions, you can go on one message. It's Facebook, one message. It's an open public page. You can send me a message and I'm starting to do um, live feeds where a certain time every day you can ask me questions and I answer them. Is that the only social media platform that you have now? Can they also get to you through um, Instagram? Or- Instagram, Twitter, but I don't really use Instagram. I see that for the kids, but <laughs> if you want to get me Facebook, just type in one, the number one, a message after it, or you can get me on Twitter. LinkedIn. Today's good. And before we end, I'd just like to say to all you kids and people in college, whatever you're doing and you listen to this and you're thinking, oh, I want to do something different. I don't know if I can make it. I'm living proof you can make it. He's living proof. He started off with an idea. How's he got to me? One message is one of the fastest growing mentoring businesses. I'm well-known, well-respected. The practices are great, you know, and he's managed to get to me. And I have a lot. I'm not being big-headed. I'm, I'm a humble, down-to-earth guy. I thank God for my blessings, but out of all the people he's got, he's, he's got, he's got through to me and I do a great job. So that's what shows you he's attracting me. And I looked on him first yeah. and thought, what is he about? Is he going to do a good job? Is he going to come and make me look bad? <laughs> and I chose him. So it's living proof that you can make it if you want to make it. Have a dream, believe in God and your dream will come true. Through the ups and downs, nothing's plain sailing. Don't ever think I'm sitting here saying, oh, I've changed my life around. It's all perfect. It ain't perfect, but it's a million times better than a gang life. I've got regular money. Married, got kids, got a daughter, got a granddaughter. I'm respected in the community, respected in the work world. Go on holidays now. I ain't got to look after my sh- over my shoulder. When I hear police run outside the window, I look like, who were they coming for? But it's not me. It's nice to do that. It's nice. It's so nice to be a nosy neighbor. <laughs> it's nice to be on the other side of the fence now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good, Matthew. Good, 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 Matthew. It's, it's been nice talking to you, Matthew, you know, and uh, I really, I'm really grateful for this time, you know, you know, I want to thank you, you know, for giving me, giving me your time, you know, because I know you're a very busy guy. No, it's to be grateful because if you weren't doing the good work, you didn't believe in God, we would have never crossed paths. Does how many people doing what you do looking for stories and how many of them got in touch with me because they're not meant to get in touch with me because you're actually, you're good at what you do, you're passionate and you believe in it. If you don't, you, know, you can be good at something and not be passionate. Yep. And it just comes across. You don't care. You're passionate. You enthusiasm. You, from what I know, you're a good husband, good father. I do something with someone like that. I help somebody. I come and tell my story. But for someone I know who ain't like that or their energy come across, I'm like, 
I don't need to do every podcast. I don't need to do every interview. Don't need to do every radio or TV. Because not every publicity is good publicity. And not every energy is good energy. Yeah. So thank you for being an honest and honest and real person because I've come across some people who what are just get the glory bits and like you know all my past but don't want to talk about my present and my future. So check out his podcast and I will be putting it up on my one message.